It's Two Brain Radio. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf tactics to help you improve your fitness business and move you closer to wealth. And now, here's your host, the most interesting man in fitness, Chris Cooper. Welcome back to Two Brain Radio. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Dr. Philip Carlisle. Philip is a chiropractor from the Southern States, and he is going to talk to us today about the integration between the chiropractic world and our world, and how to ease that integration, how to talk to chiropractors, how to get referrals from them, and he's also going to talk about what we're doing from the chiropractic perspective. We have a lot more in common than we have different, and in some schools of chiropractic, the belief that a still body becomes stagnant pervades. He's going to talk about how he encourages his chiropractic clients to do CrossFit and what that process looks like from chiropractic or therapeutic care into functional fitness. He's even developed a program called Spinal Fit that can help you as a coach identify where a person is weak, where they really need help, and then bridge that gap between your practice and that of another healthcare practitioner. If for no other reason, you need to listen to this because you're probably doing push-ups wrong and you're probably teaching the lunge wrong and you're probably even teaching the Samson stretch wrong. And these are all things that I was doing wrong until I talked to Philip in this episode. It's a fantastic discussion. You're going to learn a lot and you can learn more about him at spinalfit.co. Okay, Dr. Philip Carlisle, welcome to Two Brain Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to chat with you, especially because of your extensive background in both CrossFit and chiropractic. And those are two worlds that sometimes when they collide, um, they don't overlap, right? They, they compete. Most definitely. So what got you started in CrossFit in the first place? Looking for something a little different. Uh, being a former Marine, I was very used to running on a regular basis and then going into uh, the weight room and lifting. And I'd run a mile to the gym, work out for an hour, and then run back and was getting bored and wasn't seeing results and wanted to try something different. Your first experience, what was that like? My first experience was actually a birthday workout. And it was quite hilarious because... Uh, white boy can't jump well jump rope was one of the things that (laughs) was very challenging for me and so it was run a mile do a whole bunch of jump rope at the end of the road run back and uh do more workout and bottom line i was the first one down to the jump rope station and then i was the last one to leave and by the time i got back from doing my jump ropes pretty much everybody else was done with the workout it was quite embarrassing wow so was there like a really immediate and obvious connection with what you're doing as a chiropractor or you know did that connection come about because you saw gaps in what was happening in a box you know where how did that relationship start it started because uh my first box uh didn't have the best experience actually because i was athletic i got in i I started asking me to do things i'd never done before and i got injured I saw a lot of uh, other athletes coming in and get injured and going away. And and it it wasn't logical to me that if you're being trained properly, you should have issues. So uh, my friends and I, we started another box and I went and got my level one training. And 
we really quickly integrated uh, a lot of form technique and chiropractic along with it because if you're doing proper form, you shouldn't hurt yourself. If you're hurting yourself and you've got proper form, then maybe there's more going on than just a lack of form. Can you give me an example there, Philip? Perfect examples. Uh, one of my good friends doing deadlifts, and he was struggling with the deadlifts. Every time he did deadlifts, he would have a lower back issue. And we talked about it, and we decided, let's take an x-ray. Let's see what's going on. And he had a rotated pelvis. And the problem was there was so much torque in the lumbar spine when he's trying to do deadlifts, even when he's in a, a neutral position, it was just too much for the quadratus lumborum and all those muscles to take. We started adjusting his pelvis, removed the rotation, and now he's back to deadlifting well over 400 pounds for numerous reps and no issues. I can relate to that because I've actually torn my QL before deadlifting uh, in a competition, but... Um, now, the way that you spotted the problem, would the average coach be able to um, maybe spot that there was a problem and then send somebody for follow-up? I believe a level two trainer, maybe. Okay. A level three trainer, most definitely. Uh, it really comes down to me, the person and whether or not they're they're paying good attention uh, movement pattern disorders once you learn how to identify movement pattern disorders are easy to pick up but if you're not too familiar with them they're kind of hard to spot okay so tell me a little bit more about movement pattern disorders give me an example movement pattern disorders because of uh whether it's a muscular imbalance, whether it's a, a rotated pelvis, whether it's a neurological problem, a normal normal biomechanics can't happen. Okay. They go through a position. Uh, one of our ladies who's been to regionals uh, four or five times, first time I saw her squat, she looked like she was doing a corkscrew on the way down and the way back up. And the other trainers didn't notice that, but it was a small difference. But as she descended, her lower back would rotate. And that, that was ex pelvic problem, but actually a problem between her shoulder blades and under load, she was trying to seek a pain-free position. And she wasn't aware of the pain. It's just what it's called, an antalgic position. Anyway, point more of the story is, is those can be easily picked up once you learn how to identify them. Okay. So uh, let's not talk about how to identify them for a minute, but... Uh, let's say that I'm a CrossFit trainer and I don't know what's happening that's wrong, uh, but I know that something is wrong. My hesitation would be, I don't want to call this chiropractor or physiotherapist because they're going to tell my client, quit doing CrossFit, it's hurting you. Is that, is that is a wealth founder? Okay, tell me why. All the research shows that if you want something to heal, it needs to stay in motion. The human body, I view it as an ecosystem, kind of like a pond. And when a pond goes stagnant is when it starts to die. So you need motion. Joints, they, when they do uh, knee replacements, hip replacements, they get people up and they get them moving immediately. Um, we don't tell our athletes to not do the workout. I, I was there this morning. I had to run open up the box because my friend was running late. And one of our guys had a knee injury that he had happened from him from jumping on the box. 
his knee. He's like, no, come do the workout. You, you should be moving. So that opinion is ridiculous. Okay, so let's say that uh, a, cr- a coach at a gym does get that feedback from a chiropractor and the athlete comes in and says, hey, I got to stop doing this workout. You know, my chiropractor told me to stop. What's the best course of action for the coach? Invite the chiropractor to the box. Let them see what the coach is doing. Let the chiropractor truly understand what it is that's happening, that knee-jerk reaction is because most likely the chiropractor doesn't believe that things are happening safely. And the reputation that CrossFit has for injuries, which is also not accurate, but that's here and there. One of the things that I love and one of the things that's great about the box that we're in is if the person has a problem, And even if they're not a patient of mine, the coach will send them over to talk to me and then I'll talk to the coach. And what we'll do is we'll scale, we'll adjust, well, whatever needs to be done so that we can keep the person moving. And yeah, I guess that's the answer. Okay. So you think it'd be wise for a box to get out in front of this stuff and maybe, you know, invite the chiropractors before they're encountering an injured client? I think that would be an excellent idea. The dynamic in our box, I can only speak for what I see, but it is fabulous because we truly work together. The trainers, uh, the level that they're at, and I believe most level two trainers are doing it right, and they just need to have some people in. Get a chiropractor in your box. Get a, a We've got a physiotherapy. We've got like eight physios that work work out in our box as well so it's a very dynamic box and it works well i think that that's a definite you should have physios you should have chiropractors and then it should be a team approach to getting your box members healthier so what what could be a first step then in, a, in approaching somebody's healthcare practitioner so you know what we've done at catalyst a few times a client has come in and said i have this exi- pre-existing condition and we'll say, okay, what's the name of your healthcare provider? And we'll send them a letter and say, hey, Jill Thomas is coming to visit us, and she has this history, and here is my broad general plan, not too specific. Is there any uh, obvious contraindication here? And uh, a lot of the time, whether we're 100% correct in, in our assessment and you know prescription or not, that will lead to more referrals from the Cairo because now they trust us to ask. You know, have you ever seen an example of that? That sounds good. My only concern with that would be I get a lot of letters from a lot of people on things and, and how quick you respond and everything in a normal work day and, and load. Um, I, that's a good beginning maybe, but I would say just walk down, knock on the door, and talk to them because we're very approachable and it, it to me the face-to-face goes a lot longer and a lot better in a relationship mm-hmm. so you as a chiropractor if if you weren't a coach and a coach was um wanting to work with one of your clients or wanting to send you clients you'd advocate knocking on your door and talking in person 
Yes, I've actually, we've got several different training facilities here. Uh, between golf, I have uh, golf instructors come to me about their, because we've got the, uh, the Sea Island Golf Academies. Uh, we got a lot of professional golfers here, and it's not uncommon for one of their trainers to contact me about one of their clients and, and what's going on. We've got personal trainers that contact me about their clients and things that are going in better ways to train them. If the person is a good person and their interest is truly helping that person get healthy, then they should have no issue whatsoever having a conversation with you. So right now, these other people are help are calling you for advice or for programming, or what are you doing for them? For a little bit of both. Uh, cool. We've got some people that don't do CrossFit that do traditional uh, personal training, and my patients see them and they'll contact me about what's going on and want to know better ways to program for that individual. Uh, the professional golfers, uh, their trainers will contact me because I take care of some of them and want to know better ways to, to balance their musculature and their training regiments. So, yeah, if the person's interested in helping, then it works great. Okay, and uh, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about ways that you can help other gyms bridge that gap with local chiropractors too. But I want to talk about the money issue first. Now, I, I don't know if this belief is true or not. You can tell me. But I know a lot of gyms believe that a chiro won't refer to them because that means the chiro is going to lose a patient, you know, like the the beginning of yeah. fitness That's training. Because yeah. That's because the chiropractor doesn't understand what's happening in the box. Okay, so it's not financial. No, if the chiropractor understands CrossFit and understands the mechanics and what's happening and functional motion, they should be on board. If they're not, that chiropractor doesn't know what they're doing and you don't need to be dealing with them anyway. Okay. So does um, the beginning of CrossFit training necessarily mean the end of chiropractic treatment then? Because I think maybe some chiros would be scared of that. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, that would be the scarcity mentality versus the prosperity mentality. Uh, to me, my goal is to get a person healthy and I, I don't worry about whether they don't have to come to me for life. If I take care of them, I'm a good chiropractor. I do what's right by them. They're going to come back for whatever reason. They're going to refer for whatever reason. And that is somebody's own messed up headspace in a scarcity paradigm. But I think we see that in every industry, right? You're going to have your 10% in every industry. And in chiropractic, in all honesty, I believe we're probably more along the 20 to 25% because there's several different colleges and and the, the training isn't as standardized as we would like it to be. But, yeah, you're going to have your, your 10% in every profession. I didn't even know that there was more than one college of chiropractic medicine. So... Um, <laughs> If there are several, are there some colleges that would be more amenable to functional style training? Without going too crazy in our profession, we end up with uh, 
they're chiropractors that are truly chiropractors and they're based off of the old concept of neurology and we're truly trying to assess movement pattern disorders. We're looking at the neurology and that's our focus. And then there's chiropractic colleges that are really a lot along the medical paradigm and they're more about doing physical therapy or uh, other sorts of things versus trying to truly address the subluxation and correct the problem. So there's, there's several different thought patterns out there. I'm more of the old school chiropractic model. And, and I truly believe that God designed the body to function with the brain in control and central nervous system in control. And my job is to identify where there's nerve interference, clear it, and allow the body to function the way that it was designed. So again, back to your anti-stagnation comment then. Keep moving. Amen. Keep moving. Okay. So let's say that you have a chiropractic client and you have uh, brought them to a level of functionality and they're going to start doing some fitness training. You know, How do you segue them into CrossFit or into the gym? I had a, a new patient the other day, and she does various forms of exercise, and, and immediately the CrossFit subject was broached, and she says, I've been told that you're very pro-CrossFit uh, and that, that you want your patients to do CrossFit or your Spinal Fit program, and, and my response was, from a genetic standpoint, and most people, most CrossFit instructors don't understand this. Genetically, we're designed to receive a certain amount of physical exercise in a day. Yoga won't fulfill the genetic nutritional level for exercise. CrossFit is the closest that will satiate the genetic requirement. So what is that genetic requirement then, Philip? If you could draw a bracket around it. Uh, genetically, if you think we're designed to be hunter-gatherers, that's what our genome was created for. And so the average Paleolithic hunter-gatherer would walk on average 21 miles a day. They would run during that time frame. They would lift. They would throw ballistic-style motions. So when we cut through and we look at the research, what we say is an hour of cardiovascular a day, 30 minutes of weight-resistive training uh, three times a week, and then 30 minutes two times a week of a ballistic style motion. Well, that's very interesting. And uh, you started to say something about yoga, for example, not fulfilling those requirements. Um, does yoga fulfill any kind of requirement that you see for recovery from that stuff? Yoga is, is a great program. I recommend it. I have my patients do it, but I just need them to understand that it's not from a genetic requirement going to fulfill all the needs. From a stretching, relaxation, from a chiropractic standpoint, from balancing the bone-on-bone -bone stacking and all the concepts behind it, uh, I, I do yoga myself. So, yes, it's a beneficial exercise program, but it's not going to fulfill all the requirements. That's very interesting. What does your perfect week of workouts look like you know in a vacuum you have nothing else going on you can work out anytime anywhere what what would you do that's actually kind of uh crossfit has done a really really good job i don't know if they intended it this way 
But when you look at the three days on, one day off concept, and you look at a traditional, constantly varied program, uh, it, it hits all the bullet points from a genetic requirement. So Monday you would do what, and what would you do on Tuesday? If we're just trying to go at it from a genetic requirement, yeah, uh, you're going to be doing uh, basically CrossFit. I mean, without going crazy, I mean, we can talk about whether you do uh, the Olympic lifts more or whether you'd, you'd do more cardio, but if you look at the average programmer for CrossFit, and if you look at main site without a doubt, then you're going to find out that if you follow that, you're going to be closer to fulfilling the genetic requirement than any other exercise program out there. And you will notice differences. What I tell my patients all the time, when I was 20 and in the Marine Corps and thought I was in shape, I'm in better shape at 46 than I've ever been in my life. I can't lift the weight that I used to when I was full of testosterone, but I think at 46, being able to back squat 385 pounds and deadlift 405, it isn't too shabby. And be good looking enough to receive flowers from your wife too. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, when you're referring to main site, do you refer to the three-on, one-off paradigm, um, or is it just the, the constant variance of uh, ballistic-type exercise with heavy weightlifting and aerobic stuff? I would say the combo. Okay. All right. So uh, a lot of affiliates, I think, or a lot of gyms have drifted away from three-on, one-off, not because it's not optimal, but I think because it it uh, is tougher from a business perspective. Uh, how does your gym schedule classes? I completely agree with you. The three on one off for, for, for me personally, I, I can't do it with my work schedule. I, I basically work out four days a week, uh, Tuesday and Thursday mornings are my, are my mornings to work out. Uh, and then Saturday and Sunday, my family, we work out together. It's hard for me to, to do that as well. My box and working with my head trainer and we talk about those sorts of issues, most boxes want to say, okay, Monday's back squat day or, or Monday's going to be a squat day. Well, what about those people like myself that can't do Monday as a squat day? So if you pick that this day is always going to be your squat day, then you're giving holes in your programming for other people. So your programming, in my opinion, needs to be variable as well so that you can get more people doing what you're trying to accomplish. So does it matter then if the lift is always you know, back squat that I'm making or is it just important to go heavy once or twice a week? That to me would depend on the person and their goals. Uh, some people don't want to go heavy. Some people aren't trying to, mm -hmm. to, to build mass. My spinal fit program, for example, we don't do a lot of heavy stuff because spinal fit athletes have a different goal set and a different mindset. But for the purpose of the question, uh, 
I really don't know how to answer that one in all honesty, Chris. That's fine. And maybe it depends on specificity of goals too. You know, if my if my yeah. goal is to increase my Olympic lifting, then yes, I better make it to back squat Mondays. But if my goal is, uh, you know, overall fitness, then maybe it's only important that I do something heavy. And, and on that note, if you're trying to increase your Olympic lifts, then just going heavy isn't the answer because you can do an Olympic lift and you can actually be more efficient at the lift and spend more time training the efficiencies inside the lift and pick up weight just as quickly. Yeah, actually, on the previous episode of Two Brain Radio, uh, Greg Everett, the famous Olympic lifting coach, was on, and he was talking about a skill bias, uh, which has actually had a, a great effect on me in my own um, experiments. Um, so you mentioned spinal fit, and I kind of wanted to get back to the segue between chiropractic or other rehab, you know, modalities and CrossFit. You know, what's that pathway look like for somebody coming out of care and entering? Uh, fitness, the the fitness arena for the first time? It has to be based not necessarily off of the injury and the fact that they're recovering from an injury. We have to consider the person and not just their weight, what they can do, can't do, their nutrition level, their end goal. And so it needs to be something that's looked at more than, okay, everybody is going to fit into this segue. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. How does the individual CrossFit trainer begin to progress uh, new people up to CrossFit then? I think maybe this is what you referred to as your spinal fit program. Well, with spinal fit, spinal fit started because of uh, my patients that a lot of people are afraid to exercise. A lot of people are afraid of CrossFit. The, the image of forging elite fitness, there's a lot of average people that don't want to forge elite fitness. They just want to do something to get a little healthier. And you always have to meet a person where they are and, and lead them because everybody doesn't want the genetic requirement for exercise. They just want to feel better or move better. So Spinal Fit came because of my patients that were injured. Obviously, they're in my office. They're having some problem. And they want to start exercising, but they didn't want to do a lot of heavier weight. And when I looked at, I was sending people to trainers, and they would get injured. I'd tell people to exercise, and they'd get injured. So I decided to just create my own exercise program and, and it happened to correlate perfectly with the transition to the new box. And it's just worked out greatly because I've got people in there with back, uh, with fused backs, with hip replacements, knee replacements, uh, you name it. And, and we just take them from where they are to where they want to be. Okay. And are you doing this mostly one-on-one -on -one with clients or is it in a group? Oh, no, no. Spinal Fit is, is, is a class setting. It's very similar in format to a, a traditional CrossFit class. Uh, a Spinal Fit class, it's about 60 to 80 exercises that I've pulled from, whether it's yoga or Pilates or my Marine Corps training 
or exercises that I've created. And the point with the initial part of the spinal basics is to get the spine mobile, get it moving and warm up the spine and the, in my mind, the two major joints, the uh, hip sockets and the shoulder girdle complex. Then we move to a, a warm up and the warm up is going to be geared toward getting the part of the body warm that we're going to be exercising in the workout. Uh, sometimes we do a skill session and that's again more of a form technique concept than just trying to increase volume of work. It, it's more about the skill of the exercise that we're going to be doing and then we end with a workout of the day. So one of the earliest questions or even criticisms of CrossFit was how can it be so broad and general and still meet the demands of every you know individual in the group? So how do you address that with Spinal Fit? Because you've got a more specialized population, right? Yes. And what happens when an initial person comes into Spinal Fit, uh, if they're a patient, I've already got a pretty good idea of their movement pattern disorders if they're not because we have people join we've got a lot of uh, our CrossFit members their their families do spinal fit their parents or whatever because they're not interested in, in doing CrossFit or they're scared of it uh, so the when a person initially comes in I, I move run them through some motion and see how they're moving and assess them that's going to end up helping the person's need the person is getting specialized training, but believe me, everybody in the group can benefit from more exercises geared towards healthier knees. So we can address those issues. Is everybody in that class getting one-on-one -on -one attention? I mean, is their treatment individualized? Is it really one-on-one -on -one coaching within a class setting? Yes. My trainers and I are constantly going around working with people individually while the class is going. So when they're doing the spinal uh, basics, we're going around and, and correcting their form while they're doing it. So whether you're a new person or a person that's been in the program for two years, you're still getting that attention. Okay. And when I do um, consulting with boxes, that's one of the big standards that we try to hold people to is how much one-on-one -on -one attention every client is getting in the group. So on average, how much time are you spending with each individual client before moving on to the next? Well, that depends on what, the, what I notice and what my trainers notice. We could spend five seconds with an individual. We could spend up to a couple minutes with the individual. What I found is when I bring a new person in – the people that have been in the program for a, a while kind of gather around and start doing the same exercise that the new person is doing. That way it kind of refreshes their memory as well. They like hearing it over and over again. That's interesting. And you said that uh, level two trainers could probably execute this without much trouble, right? Exactly. A level two trainer, given a little bit of time with me to identify movement pattern disorders, being taught what to look for, most definitely. So are you training other coaches to do Spinal Fit then? Yeah, I've got, wow, three, four, five other people that uh, help. And when I'm not around, they run classes. So yeah, it's, it, it's something that is 
very much a level two trainer can handle learning and then implementing into their box. So, you know, my box does deal with uh, a lot of populations that many boxes don't. Some of those are cognitive, uh, but some are also coming from our, our rehab streams. Let's say that I wanted to do spinal fit at my box or, you know, where do I start? You know, what, what training do I need to be able to implement that? And then how do I market it and how do I approach chiropractors with it? Whew. Multiple questions there. Huge questions, sir. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let, let's start with if you're interested in spinal fit. Uh, we're going to be having a seminar in late January, early February. We're trying to get that set up right now. I'm currently in the process of finishing a textbook about it and going to be doing more uh, videos on my spinal fit textbook page and trying to start trying to give some of the information out that I see and do on a regular basis. So feel free to look at that information and start trying to implement it and feel free to call me. Uh, you can reach me 912-638-5909 at, at any time and we'll talk. Next question. Uh, what was the next question? <laughs> what does a business model look like? So, um, Let's say that I want to add this. The business model is from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. I've already got that handled. I've already got letters that, uh, or they can, I've got letters that you can send home with your box members and get their parents in there. What ends up happening a lot of times, Spinal Fit ends up being a little bit more of an older demographic. People are at a different stage in their life, and spinal fit fits well into the retired person's life, and it fits into a box in a time frame where you're not going to have other classes going. So it's an easy, instant revenue stream for a box to pick up. My analogy is a restaurant you're not going to have somebody sit down at 3.30. I, I don't care how much you staff your restaurant, people aren't going to be eating at 3.30 in the afternoon. People aren't going to be eating at 10.30 in the restaurant most of the time. So there are times that the retired community can immediately plug into your box. You're already paying overhead for that time anyway and have a class that's going to generate 1500 to $2,000 a month of an additional revenue. That's, that's really interesting. I know a lot of people who are concerned with improving the movement of their clients, um, they might not be working with this target market who has impaired movement or maybe they move a little bit slower. One of the things that CrossFit St. Simons that we talk about and, and pride ourselves on is we truly try and get and cover the entire age spectrum. Just like there's a CrossFit Kids program, uh, then you've got the CrossFit program. Spinal Fit really fills that void for the baby boomer generation that you know has some sort of issue. They're not interested in the elite fitness concept, but they want to exercise. Okay. Now, as far as bridging the gap with other local chiropractors, uh, because I'm not a chiropractor, I do have some friends who are, how do I introduce spinal fit to my healthcare community? 
Well, <laughs> hate to sound like a, a plug, but that's one of the things that we cover when we do the seminar. And I'm going to have all that marketing and media of the individual. We've got the logo, everything done. Uh, and you can just literally approach the chiropractor after you've been trained and say, look, this is a program here. Are the credentials behind it. Uh, we would love to start working with some of your patients to try and get them moving because as you know, a person that moves and exercises is healthier. They hold their adjustments longer and they will live longer and be longer and better patients for you. I think that's great to focus on the benefits instead of the features of what it is that we're offering, right? Exactly. Most definitely. Okay. So now, you know, to come full circle, um, there are a lot of trainers out there who are prescribing, you know, mobility exercises and stability movements that border on therapy. Uh, are they helping their clients, harming their clients? I'm not positive. Without okay. seeing it, uh, I'm not sure. What I know is a lot of times I watch videos and I see some things that people are for teaching and they're putting themselves out there and, and, and I go back and I go, mm, that's probably not the safest and best biomechanically for a patient. Uh, one of the big things I take, for example, uh, Samson, the stretch Samson. Yeah. You familiar with it? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So the target goal is to, to get the iliopsoas. Okay. And you see people and they are so far forward with their pelvis and, and, their back leg is is so hyperextended and the tension on the hip socket and everything that they're trying to create to get the stretch of the iliopsoas. Well, it's because to disengage an iliopsoas, if you slightly rotate the pelvis or if the upper torso moves forward, then you release the tension on the iliopsoas. So they're not even stretching the iliopsoas muscle. They're stretching everything around it, and they're creating issues. So one of the big things that we focus on uh, when I'm teaching Samson, for example, is to ensure that the pelvis is perfectly square with the shoulders. And actually what I have people do is they take their hands up overhead like in a ballerina position, lock their fingers. And then what they do is they take their hands and their shoulders posteriorly and then they allow their pelvis to slide forward just slightly. And the tension on the iliopsoas, people are amazed how much it engages it because now we're truly targeting that muscle. So that's some of the stuff that we do in Spinal Fit is, is, is guaranteeing that the exercise we do is hitting the muscle we're trying to focus on. Well, I think that example is very interesting because when I teach Samson stretch, uh, most of my people are just feeling a stretch in rectus femoris, which doesn't necessarily translate to iliopsoas, right? Exactly. And that's what, I, bingo. <laughs> so it's that subtlety. Do you think that maybe there is an overconfidence in trainers with uh, what we're prescribing? Um, so, you know, we take these movement patterns and instead of saying we're trying to uh, stretch our iliopsoas, we instead 
take the movement pattern as a cliche almost. And we say, okay, you need to do these stretches, not you need to stretch this muscle. Do you see that? I, I do. And to me, it comes down to knowledge base. Yeah. Um, and, and most trainers don't have the degree of knowledge of the muscles and the anatomy and everything else. It's, it's a, it's a cursory glance at it and they don't truly understand a muscle's origin and its insertion point. And, and so I, I don't think it's any being cavalier. I think it's just the knowledge base isn't there and it's the generic concept. You can get the generic orthotics from the Dr. Scholes that fit two thirds of the population, but they're not specific for you where a custom orthotic would do a better job. So I think just increasing the knowledge base of the trainer and saying, okay, here's the muscle, here's what we're truly trying to accomplish, therefore we'll do X, Y, and Z. Then they translate that to their CrossFit box. They become a better trainer on a CrossFit level as well. Okay. And I I think uh, it's easy to fall into that trap because we really do want to help people. And so we see Kelly Sturette saying, you should roll out because, because, because. And we take from that, we should roll out. So now everybody's rolling out, but we rarely dig deeper And if you asked a lot of coaches, you know, why are your clients starting the workout with rolling? They'll give you something about adhesions and, you know, inflammation, uh, but they don't give you the real answer. So is that kind of what you're trying to teach in Spinal Fit? Yes. You need to understand why you're doing what you do. And once you understand that, you're going, your applications are going to change. Your training is going to go up. And your athletes are going to get better. So you've actually got some some videos on your Facebook page that I've seen uh, where you're talking about how to do a lunge properly. And to a lot of coaches, myself probably included, you know, a lunge is a lunge is a lunge. And maybe there's a way to do it more efficiently. But you know, what is the proper way to do a lunge? Well... See, this is one that's just a little personal to me yeah. because that's exactly what I thought. And I actually got injured doing walking overhead lunges because of my uh, an improper biomechanical position for my hip socket. And I actually dislocated and relocated my left hip during an overhead lunge and spent about a year and a half with a numb leg and therapy and everything else from it. So... When I look at a lunge, one of the biggest mistakes that a person does is the trail leg. They don't allow that knee to relax and to bend. Okay. And they hyperextend the hip socket. There's so much anterior force or actually posterior force driving that hip socket anteriorly when that trail leg, if that knee, bottom line, when you're at the bottom of a lunge, your knee, your hip, your pelvis, your spine, your shoulders, and your head, I should be able to draw a perfectly perpendicular line to the ground. Hmm. If that back knee is posterior of that, the tension on the hip socket is tremendous. 
And if you put too much weight and you get it a little bit more posterior, that hip socket will sublux out in a heartbeat. No kidding. Okay. So even though it's easier to take a longer forward stride and use your hips and hamstrings and glutes more than your quads, that's going to anteriorly tilt your pelvis too much? It's going to put too much posterior to anterior force on the hip socket. Okay. You know, by that by that same uh, token, you've got a great video uh, asking, you know, did CrossFit invent the perfect push-up by mistake? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, they created it as a judging standard. I've heard several reasons why people think they came up with it. But bottom line, it came down to the question, did the person's chest touch the ground, yes or no, so we can count it as a rep? And I got that from, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but with from CrossFit headquarters, one of the coaches. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was the point in it was to create a standard of, did the chest touch the ground? Lift your hands, we guarantee your chest on the ground. Well, actually, a push-up is a very anterior muscle-driven exercise. When you lift the hands and you we use the shoulder blades together, not just pick your hands up, but you, you truly are trying to lift the hands directly vertical. That requires you to engage a lot of posterior chain muscles, uh, the subscapularis muscle of the rotator group, the rhomboid muscles. And, and so now you're actually starting to create a balance. And, and you've heard this People have heard this for years. You know, if you do a push-pull, a push exercise, you should do a pull exercise. You do a press exercise, you should do a pull, all those sorts of concepts. Well, when you do a hand-release push-up, you are actually engaging a push-pull mechanism, and it creates a perfect balance. Hmm. Some people report that they actually find hand-release push-ups easier. Is it the rest, you know, the brief rest period that they're getting between reps or uh, is it just, you know, the antagonistic motion of pulling their elbows back disinhibits the pecs? Or how does, why is that? I'd have to see that person doing hand-release push-ups. Mm-hmm. To me, hand-release push-ups aren't easier. Uh to me, bouncing off the ground or, or a lot of the, the traditional push-ups because you can get going so fast and the momentum, to me, those are actually easier. Uh, to me, a hand-release push-up, I actually get fatigued more doing them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have better posture than I do. So um, when I said people find it easier, I was referring to me, and, and it's probably because of <laughs> years of competitive bench pressing. Um so, Philip, I know yeah, we... and you really develop those muscles. And so, and, and that's, a, that's a perfect lead-in to the perfect push-up because by doing competitive bench press and everything else, you've really developed the medial and anterior deltoid, the pecs. Well, you haven't done a lot of developing of the posterior deltoids and creating that balance. So, a, our athletes, most of our athletes come to us with a slightly forward-rounded shoulder. And doing hand-release push-ups along with some other exercises will actually bring that shoulder girdle back. You're going to open up the chest 
you're going to open up the rib cage, you're going to decrease pressure on the heart and the lungs, and you're going to make the person healthier over time. So Philip, a couple of weekends ago, you were down at Heroes for Horton, and you've got a great Dave Castro story from that event. Yeah, Dave, uh, first time meeting him, and uh, the persona he gives off is different than the person he is. Pretty awesome guy. Thoroughly enjoyed meeting and hanging out with him. But he came up, and uh, I've got my tent with Spinal Fit, and he walks up and he says, so what's Spinal Fit? And my joke was kind of, well, what's CrossFit? When you ask that question, there's a whole lot of answers. And I I explained Spinal Fit to him and told him uh, what we're trying to accomplish. And through the course of our conversation, he started asking me, uh, well, he wanted to know if he could ask me a spinal condition that he's dealing with. And so I said, Sure, and he explained it to me, and I asked permission to give him the two-minute what is chiropractic story. And once he heard what chiropractic was and what I needed to do, he allowed me to do a quick evaluation on him and adjusting. And his first question, similar to what you said earlier, is should I work out now, or is it going to affect me when I work out? And I said, no, work out, have at it, go do what, you know, go do the Heroes for Horton workout. And he did, and after the workout, he came and says, man, that was better and easier, and thanks. Oh, that's great. Yeah, um, your experience is you know, similar to mine whenever I've met Dave. Uh, anybody who's actually met him knows that he's a fantastic human, uh, especially considering uh, what a hard case he is. You know, He's a Navy SEAL trainer. He's been in these really dark places, and he's such an open and caring guy you wound up giving him his first chiropractic adjustment, right? Exactly. Gave him his first chiropractic adjustment. Uh, if you're listening, Dave, I'm still waiting to hear from you because I told you uh, to give me a call and I'd find a good chiropractor for you in your area. And there are a dozen other rabbit holes uh, we could run down there, but I hear your phone ringing and your receptionist uh, putting people on hold in the background. Uh, just really briefly, You've got a Spinal Fit seminar coming up, uh, but in the meantime, where can people get more information? The easiest way to get information is to go to spinalfit.co. It's our webpage, and then our Facebook page, which is simply Spinal Fit. And we can see all kinds of videos that are going to help us. Uh, We'll learn stuff right away, which I absolutely love. Philip, uh, thanks so much for helping out other coaches. I'm sure we'll have you back on here again. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting some blog posts from you that'll be on twobraincoaching.com as well as spinalfit.co. Have a fantastic day, my friend. Thank you again. You too. God bless. Next, it's Coach's Confessional, where Chris shares his biggest mistakes in the fitness business. Learn from his sins. Here's Chris again with another costly error. Today's Coach's Confessional is, I think, very apropos of what we just spoke about with Dr. Carlisle. Very early in my career, I had this scarcity mindset that said I had to be the expert in everything. And uh, obviously, this was just a defensive reaction, you know, and I found myself at war with local chiropractors and also with local naturopaths and often with doctors. And I thought that I was competing for share of wallet with these people Later on, of course, I would learn that I would benefit far more uh, through collaboration instead of competition. But early on, my gut instinct was the defensive, I know more, they're quacks, and this is a great illustration. 
So I had a client, uh, she had just retired from teaching elementary school and she was coming in to work out and she had all this lower back pain and, and muscle stiffness. And we went through some very simple assessments with a goniometer and just testing out joint angles in her lower body. And she's very stiff. You know, this is a person who had never exercised. She showed up for her first day wearing slacks, uh, you know, so the polyester type dress pants and uh, a collared shirt with an anchor on it. So we started doing some basic stretching thing. She rode the bike. We did some static stretches. And over the next few weeks, through personal training sessions, we started to integrate functional movement like squats and deadlifts. This would have been around 2001. So not many people were talking about functional movement, and that that wasn't even a phrase that you heard anywhere. Uh, If you did, it was mostly related to balance training and BOSU balls and stuff like that. Uh, The word core was becoming a buzzword, though, so it was easy for me to sell my services if I said core a lot, even though I didn't really believe in the concept as it was taught by most professionals. So after a few weeks, um, this lady came to see me one day and she was overjoyed because she had worked in her garden the previous day, all day. And she had hauled, in her words, big rocks and lifted them up into her wheelbarrow by herself and moved them around the yard and dumped them off. And she still felt great. She felt well enough to work out the next day. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Let's book your next 10 sessions. And she said, no, you don't understand. I don't have to work out anymore because my naturopath has been treating me and that's why my back feels better. And I said, well, this is really the first time I've heard mention of this naturopathic treatment, but it is really common for people uh, to have less lower back pain and when they start strengthening their posterior chain, etc." And she said, no, ever since my naturopath started treating me, I would uh, feel better almost right away. And she confirmed that she had been treating me uh, after I called her. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And so she explained the treatment. The treatment was that every few weeks, this client would drive two hours to this naturopath's house and lay flat on a bed while the naturopath claimed to be playing radio waves that would stimulate the nerves in her spine. And so I said, well, what does the radio wave machine look like? You know, does it have electrodes? And she said, no, it's, it doesn't attach to my body. In fact, it looks like a really old radio with big dials. And so I found that intriguing um, because, you know, I use a TENS machine myself. My chiropractor at the time used a TENS machine on me often. But this was a non-contact type of stimulation, purportedly. And so I said, okay, well, have you had a recent treatment? And is that why you could work uh, so well yesterday without fatigue? And the client said, yes, when I called my naturopath, she explained that she had been treating me from her house while I was doing this work, that she had turned on the you know radio dial simulator on my frequency, and I had been receiving these radio waves while I was working. So now I'm just going to call her every time I have to do hard work, and she'll treat me while I'm working, and then she'll just send me the bill. And of course, I went ballistic, and I accused the doctor of all kinds of embarrassing things, like quackery being at the very top of that list, because 
radio waves wouldn't even travel that far if we wanted them to. Uh, and then I started questioning the efficacy. Of course, this put the client in a very defensive position. She quit and I never saw her again. The moral of the story is that people are going to believe what they want to believe. And you cannot thrust something in front of somebody, even if it's obviously the truth, and expect them to stop dead in their tracks, turn 180 degrees, and start following you. Even when faced with something that doesn't seem true, people will cling true to their beliefs in a defensive manner if you confront them head-on with the truth a lot of the times. We know stubborn people, and we'll say, you know, why are you so adamant about this? Why are you continuing to defend this position even when you've lost? But the truth is that's just human nature, and we have to change people's minds a little bit at a time. What could I have done better in this situation? Well, now that I'm 40, I'm a lot more mature and I can hold my tongue. But what I could have done was maybe Socratically changed her mind by asking a series of questions that would have maybe leveraged her own self-doubt, which I'm sure she probably had in there somewhere. So when someone brings something to you from another trainer, from a doctor, it's going to be very tempting for you to strut your knowledge, to pound your own chest, to say, I know better. I don't want you to do that. Instead, what I want you to do is form a collaborative bridge with the healthcare professional by asking simple questions. And you can do that through the client. You can do that directly with the healthcare professional by saying, can you please explain this a little bit further? I want to make sure that I am following your recommendation. Or simply by asking the client to explain it in their own words. A lot of the times when people hear an argument, they'll just repeat the source to you many, many times. And this is really common in quackery. If you look at quackwatch.com, if you ask somebody why they believe something, they can't iterate their belief in their own words. They just repeat what they've been told from the source. It's true in cults, true of business mentors, definitely, and true of uh, fitness fanatics who believe certain trends. The point is, there's a massive opportunity for you to integrate with healthcare, especially those people who have parallel beliefs with your own. There's a massive opportunity for you to convince clients that what you're teaching is the best method for them. That opportunity does not carry a bat. The best thing you can do is keep a client around a long time and slowly shift their views toward your own. Because once they're on your side and moving in parallel with you, they'll be just as adamant in proclaiming your virtues as they once were about radio waves. Have a great week.